what's up, guys? Welcome to the 113th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Unlove. Today we've got the duo Shane Spiegel and Dan Siegel. They both started as producers and then quickly became a writer, producer, and a director producer. And now they're working together. They've got a brand new show called Junk Drawer Magical Adventures. It's a TV show on Universal Kids TV show. But what I had the most fun talking to them about is actually a bunch of prank shows that they did uh, before they did this show. And it's pretty fascinating. And it kind of made Matt and me get really excited about prank shows, which usually we are not that excited about. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like there's a period in every digital director's life where they end up shooting a lot more pranks than they were planning on. (laughs) Talking with these guys, like they have a really interesting take on what makes a good prank and how to shoot them and uh, made Orna and I both like kind of a little jealous, a little nostalgic of the, the good old prank days. We dig in on that and then we also talk about taking a web series, a kid's web series and turning it into a TV show and all of the crazy adventures that they have on making a, a giant series like they did. Yeah, it's a really fun conversation. But before we get into talking to them, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Yeah, so I am uh, knee-deep in prep with my wife on her feature, which has been really fun. We uh, read a bunch of actors this last weekend. Oh, cool. We're doing um, all sorts of fundraising stuff. So, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been really great. We're kind of in the the tricky parts of prep that, you know, maybe you don't read as much about or, you, you know, no one mentions in an interview or even on a podcast. And so there's been a lot of education that's been happening. Um, but it's uh, getting realer by the day, which is nice because, you know, it's a real labor of love. And anyone who's made a feature before knows that, like, it's an uphill battle. We're still a long way away in a lot of ways, but also it's becoming more and more immediate, which has been uh, awesome. Well, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Oren. Yeah. What have you been working on lately? So I'm working on the same two things. I'm about to start prepping this pilot. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, but the production company has done all unscripted stuff and this is their first scripted thing and today I was talking to the EP and he said one of the people that I will have as part of the crew is the AP Mm -hmm. and I was like oh awesome what does an AP do yeah (laughs) I said is that like the line producer and he said no we have a line producer and I said okay so what's the AP do what would you say the AP does since you just did a bunch of unscripted stuff so I just did a bunch of unscripted stuff and so (sighs) it Or do you know? I mean, maybe... I have a vague understanding, but um, it felt to me like a little bit of script supervision. supervision. So the AP is associate producer? Associate producer. So it felt like they were a combination of a script supervisor, because we didn't have any of those on set, um, a tiny bit of story producing, and a little bit of like coordinating, producing, producing. Right, like pulling permits, making Mm -hmm. sure locations are... Yeah, to me, it seemed the way he described it almost like a production coordinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just for our but listeners. But with a little bit of story to them as well. Right. He yeah. kind of referred to her as like my right hand person on set and before set and kind of like my my person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm I, I, I it's funny because he had like so many camera people and like one gaffer budgeted. And I was like, OK, we don't need three cameras and three ACs and all these digital people. It's a scripted show. And a lot of 
a big part of the show has the actors talking to camera, which automatically means you can't shoot three cameras at once or else two of the shots are useless. So I convinced them to go down to two cameras and move all the resources from that third camera to lighting. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that was fun. And then for our listeners, I just want to make sure, in case you don't know, an associate producer on like a feature film, uh, usually right, the joke is it's someone that associated with the producer in some way. Uh, so it's like someone that got you that band to give their song to your mm -hmm. indie film or they got that actor to read your script. Uh, it's a very different type of credit than it is on TV. It tends to be a more important credit in TV than in film. Yeah, um, yeah it's almost, it's the difference between like a special thanks and uh, real work. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this show. It's starting to kind of ramp up and become more of a reality than it was a week ago. That's exciting, man. Um, cool. Before we talk to Dan and Shane, um, we wanted to just remind you guys that we have a Patreon. Patreon page uh, is something that lets us uh, have our listeners help support us. If you're interested in doing that, you can give uh, a few cents per episode, and it just helps us put on more events, pay our editors and producer, and just... Uh, you know, provide a few more resources for the show. So if you are interested in checking it out, go to patreon.com slash justshootitpod. And we've already had a few patrons and it's super exciting. So thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Now let's hop into our conversation with Dan Siegel and Shane Spiegel. We are here with Dan and Shane. Thanks, guys. Siegel and over. Spiegel. That's right. Do you guys yeah. ever go by that? <laughs> I mean... Yeah, we have. We, I mean, it's at like the top of our pitches is our name. You guys sound we, like an old fashioned songwriting <laughs> duo. Do you know what I mean? Like you're wearing cardigan sweaters and you're going to pitch Walt Disney on. We do get it. Like when we've pitched, we've gotten like, oh, are you guys related? And then dad will very deadpan say like, that's not how names work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Siegel and Spiegel, not, not the same name. Yeah. <laughs> But we do get that uh, joke like in every pitch. Sure. I feel like you guys should own it is what I'm saying. We really should. Like it, wouldn't it be incredible if you had t-shirts or like buttons and then people make the joke and then you open your button up and it says Seagull and Spiegel? No. I, no. I would be 100% down. <laughs> I feel like I'm Jeff's down. Not we, feeling I it. feel like what's weird is that we've already like done gags like that where we've like made our own t-shirts just for events. And I guess it's yeah, we, we, we went and saw The Greatest Showman recently, sure. and we made these uh, T-shirts that said, Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman, and it just had, like, a picture of Hugh Jackman's face, and we wore that to, like, an opening night screening of The Greatest Showman. <laughs> Where do you guys make your shirts? Uh, one Hour one Tea hour and Eagle tea. Rock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, our costumer, uh, oh, are you Laura serious? Ortiz, like, told us about it. So you go there and you get a T-shirt in an hour? Yeah, and they're, like, pretty down for, like, a random joke. They're like, uh -huh. they're, they're into it. I mean, how much does that cost? It's like 20 bucks. Yeah. It, it, no more than 20 bucks a shirt. Something like, like, that. like enough where you can do a stupid joke. Yeah. Shirt and it's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Jokes for upper middle class people. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or 20 bucks is not a big deal. Um, cool. That's awesome. Well, so you guys uh, are a writing, directing duo or have you, have you always been a duo or? Tell us so, a little bit about what you do and where you come from. So on this show, 
we wrote the show together with a few other, you know, there was a room. But we On the show the sh- that we're, that you guys are doing now. Yeah. For Universal. For Universal Kids. Um, yeah, the show, it's called Junk Drawer Magical Adventures. And it's basically a spinoff of a web series that we did for DreamWorks TV, which is like DreamWorks Digital, their YouTube channel. So it's an expansion of that web series. TV show is called Junk Drawer Magical Adventures. And yeah, basically Shane is our director um, along with... Um, our buddy Justin Rager, who's co-directing with Shane. And then um, I'm one of the writers along with Shane and Justin, and then I'm also like a creative producer on the show. Yeah, and on all of our projects for DreamWorks over the past like two-ish years, I think, um, that's kind of been the situation. Like Dan and I will pitch the concept and come up with the idea. We'll go write it together. Dan will take a a good amount of the lead on the writing. And then when we get on set, he's now a creative producer and then I'm directing with a co-director. Sounds um, like a great job. That sounds awesome. You guys. Yeah, no, for me, it's really fun. Cause like, I don't really like, uh, directing, but I, um, <laughs> I, I enjoy, uh, he likes the director's through. chair. Yes. <laughs> he likes like <laughs> sitting behind monitor and giving notes. Wait, it's, can we dive into that real quick? Why don't you like directing? I, I, um, I've been fortunate to have opportunities to, to direct in the past. And I, um, I mean, I think that to direct is a lot of pressure. And um, I think that when you're a director, you really need to have like a, a certain singular vision um, and know exactly what you want to get. And I, I feel like I'm more of like a, a creative collaborative person. I don't necessarily, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can be indecisive to a fault that I don't think is good for a director. So I don't know. I, I've been lucky that with, you know, Shane, we've found like this working relationship where I can be uh, creative and um, basically just be sort of like a creative support. The, it, it's kind of like an amazing opportunity to have because we will have like we had it on the TV show, but also Dan will be a creative producer on like the small web stuff we do for mm-hmm. DreamWorks. And it's been like a, it's been really amazing because I can we can write the scripts and then I can storyboard with the DP and shot list and, you know, talk to wardrobe and all, all these things right that like a director has to do. And all along the way, Dan's like picking up the pieces that I'm dropping Cause I'm forgetting like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like a wardrobe thing of like, Oh, I, I thought the wardrobe looked good, but Dan remembers, Oh, in this episode, one of the characters doesn't feel confident enough to wear that mm-hmm. thing. Right. Or little things like that. Dan can like be picking up along the way or, or thing. And then when you get on set, it's like, then there's as a director, there's like a million things coming at you at all times if you can give just a few of those decisions to someone else, it's great. Mm-hmm. And and because Dan's with me from the start of the project, it's great. I can just throw him something. I mean, the biggest thing we threw him was the magic tricks on the show. Like we have two, we teach two magic tricks every episode and we perform like another two, maybe three magic tricks throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And it, it, just to kind of give people some clarification, it's like when you say junk drawer magic, you mean kind of like DIY around the house magic. So it's like, here's how to do a trick that'll impress your friends, but with stuff that's in like your junk using drawer. A pen. Yeah. yeah. So we're basically like we have these magicians who are sort of like writers with us and they're taking like very classic magic tricks and then 
Like making the Statue of Liberty disappear? <laughs> uh, while that is a classic. <laughs> Walking um, through the Great Wall of China? <laughs> we'll do like the, we'll do a trick like a card cutting through your arm or, you mm -hmm. know, something like that. And it's like, okay, how could a kid build that without buying a magic kit? How can he just like find stuff around his house and like build that trick? Um, uh, and so that takes a lot of time. It takes like workshopping with mm -hmm. the magicians, workshopping with the kids, practicing the trick with the kids, making sure it's right for camera. All those things are so intensive. Mm -hmm. I was able to, that's a big thing that Dan took like right away, which was just like supervising the magic tricks, even that. Then like they get on set and it's like, oh, they're ready. <laughs> and Dan, you have a background in magic, right? I have no background in magic. I am uh, a former balloon twister. Balloon twister. <laughs> no, so I, it's sort I, of I, I lump all of that part. stuff in. I'm sorry, but it's fair. <laughs> They're totally different things. Yeah, but. one hundred percent different. But I thought like, you were still the same walker. school, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I feel like the nice thing about uh, doing balloon twisting is, you know, pursuing film. It always feels like when you're a kid, it like seems like a pipe dream, and like having like the balloon twisting as like this skill that I could always fall back on has like given me this confidence that like everything will be fine. Like if you don't make it as a filmmaker, you can just do balloon animals. And now that I also am learning magic, I feel like I also juggle and I'm just like a triple threat for kids. Sure. Party again. Yeah. To clarify you guys, when we talk about balloon t twisting, this is like the most legit balloon twisting you've ever seen in your life. Like for college humor in a previous life, you would do like, balloon twisting challenges where you would make you made a toilet i right. remember that i did darth vader darth reading vader. a newspaper oh, cool. on a toilet yeah 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 and that's like <laughs> not almost life size basically yeah yeah like some big fancy balloons i will say working with kids you know all of, pretty much all of our shows over the past couple of years have been with kids and sometimes we're working with real young kids like a four-year-old having a producer who can juggle do balloon twisting and magic tricks you sure. can get that four-year-old to do whatever <laughs> shot you need. They are mesmerized by. Okay, so you're, so you don't have a background in magic, but you are, you understand that stuff. And we had to learn a lot about magic for the show. We've like. Well, wait. How did you guys pitch your first show? The first so magic. We actually we kind of inherited the show. Basically, I was on contract at DreamWorks Digital and two magicians came in with this idea. Uh, you know, they just, a puff of smoke sure. came and they showed up and they were like, we have a show. Uh, no, they came, they knew like our, our boss and pitched the show and I had like a directing position there. So it just sort of happened where they pitched the show and then I started Direct, writing and directing it based on the magic tricks and the concepts that they'd create. Um, and we've done over 150 episodes as oh, of wow. now. It's been a lot. Wow. Yeah. Of, well, of the YouTube of show. Of the YouTube show. We've done over 150 episodes. and It's more episodes than just shoot it. <laughs> um, it. Yeah, I mean, we at DreamWorks Digital, we were doing like a bunch of things knowing that there was always a chance that we could package one of them into a tv show so that was always the hope and junk drawer magic seemed to be like the show that had the best chance because we were doing these magic tricks but at the front and back end of the show we were putting these narrative elements and mm -hmm. and we were it's a hosted show but we kept on we treated them like characters 
and like the types of characters they are. We have these two kids, Walker and Akira. Akira loves blood magic. She loves stuff dangerous. She loves more like sorcery type stuff. Walker is the, he's squeamish. He likes more the corny joke, the the corny magic tricks, the like thumb removal stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? So it just seemed like you could pitch that as a show. And we Mm -hmm. always had like the TV pitch in our back pocket whenever the opportunity was ready. Um, And was Dan on the DreamWorks show? He came came along late, late, but yeah, I think like maybe 50 episodes in, so I I don't know when, but eventually. So you only have 100 episodes under your belt, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) What's been cool, though, is like we um, have gotten to work with Akira and Walker over like many years. So Mm -hmm. coming into the TV show with like two leads who we already had like this great working relationship was a really cool thing. And they built a really natural chemistry together, too, from so much work. Yeah, we started when they were 12, and by the time we shot, they were 14. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great, like, a lot of the kids we've worked with, we've started, they're, like, between 9 and 12, and then as they grow up, you then have, like, the best shorthand Mm -hmm. you could have. Sure. They don't know how to, like, do long division, but... (laughs) (laughs) How do you, um, like, cast... Like, how do you find good kids? It's really hard, Uh, but... A lot of it's just watching tons of stuff and hopefully you see one. And then uh, obviously we do casting breakdowns and stuff. But uh, I mean, the thing is you're like casting. It's not like casting adults where you're like, oh, they'll, you know, they'll. Yeah, they're this type of person, but they can play all these characters. Mm -hmm. You're kind of casting the kid that you should be as close to the character because it makes them so much easier for them. Right. Like. Right, yeah. um, and they don't have any training or anything to speak up, right? Like yeah, some, they have yeah. some, maybe. But some of like, them have none. Like we, um, you know, we did a long prank. We did a before this. We did do a another. We did a prank TV show for, um, for a can a Canadian uh, distributor did not air in America. We wanted two leads to be like the kids pranking people. We pranked them at like we shot at Universal Studios and and CityWalk, and we had these kids pranking like random people. They've, I mean, you can't find a nine year old prank star. They <laughs> they don't exist. Sure. Right. We basically had to like take them to the park and like teach them how to walk up to strangers and like mess with them. And Wasn't there sim- a series <laughs> on YouTube called like Prank School or something? Do you know about that? Oh. I think it was a pretty big. Was there YouTube maybe series. a. Lawsuit. I feel like anytime yeah. there's a YouTube prank series, it ends with a yeah, yeah, with like the social services coming yeah. in. Or oh, like, you yeah. can't launch your kids off the roof, dude. Yeah. <laughs> We've gotten away with some pretty insane things. And the first show that um, Shane and I did together was called "I Pranked My Parents," and then it was like packaged for that Canadian network you were mentioning, Shane. Um, so the very first thing that I got to do working for Shane was just like writing these pranks that would shoot at Universal City Walk, and I think like the very first one I pitched. The idea was that it was like one of those carnival booths where you like take a ball and you try to like throw it through the hole. And we had um, our actress Izzy Newman um, get like a uh, uh, like this prosthetic bump on her head, and then she was hanging out behind the carnival booth. So kids would throw the ball, and then you would just hear this little girl go "ow," and she would like come out from behind it and be like, "Why did you just throw this ball at my head?" And like kids were like freaking out. And the joke was like, <laughs> she'd be like, "All right, give me twenty bucks, and I won't call the cops." <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, we've had another prank where um, one of our kids was, like, running through City Walk with, like, a sledgehammer um, and a straight jacket. Or he, 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 he was going up to people saying he was practicing a magic trick while wearing a straight jacket and asked people to take off his straight jacket and no one wants to take off the straight jacket. And then after they did, 
he would run away saying, I'm free. <laughs> and then and then nurse a nurse would come up asking where her patient was that he had like escaped. And that's like right when they like stopped believing the prank. But then he would come out with like a sledgehammer chasing a few kids <laughs> and like trying to swing at people. Yeah, I watched the video on YouTube and just don't know how we were allowed to do that. Like how Yeah, that sounds but not crazy. a real sledgehammer. No, no, it was a fake sled. Yeah, it was like a it looked very real. Uh but it was I guess foam or something right. like yeah. that. Yeah. Wait, and it was all hidden camera? Yeah. And how do you get away with that? Do you just blur everyone's faces? Or are there signs that say by entering this area? Yeah, we had, so, I mean, we have signs and also things get a little tricky where Universal Studios and CityWalk are private property. So mm -hmm. the releases are a lot easier. You don't have, like, it's not like filming on hollywood boulevard right. or something because they're entering a private property but yeah you have to put signs up and stuff universal is kind of the best place to do prank stuff it is the yeah. best because yeah. the you, amount of freedom you have is awesome wait, and, but I, and control like they'll turn off you know whatever sign or music or whatever yeah. it's all zoned off have you and done we, yeah yeah I, I i tricked some people into thinking that they broke babe ruth's Louisville Slugger. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that video. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's yeah. a great place to film. And then we, the more we filmed, the more friendly we'd get with people. We're all of a sudden like, we knew the people who worked at like Hard Rock Cafe, so we could shoot off their balcony or, you know, we could start right. filming in like the, the, the amount of the park. The park would open up the more we filmed there. They'd get like more comfortable with us. Employees like knew right. the kids and stuff. The first few times we did, we had the cops called on us like a lot. Because <laughs> they were like intense pranks, and then you yeah, sure, and then the cops stopped showing up because they knew what we were doing. Like, how are you hiding the cameras? Um, there's a lot of balconies at City Walk and in the park. Um, there's a ton of balconies and uh, just like really long zoom lenses, yeah. And we're using doublers on like a 200 millimeter lens. Um, and and then we also have GoPros everywhere. What we have learned, we did learn that. At, at places like CityWalk and Universal Studios, you can get that camera pretty close and they're not going to notice because there are cameras everywhere. I mean, it's like tourists everywhere. And we're generally for pranks shooting on like 5Ds or GH4s or something like that. And kind of looks like a regular camera. Some stuff where I really wanted to get really close, I would even be like right next to the prank shooting on my iPhone to get like one extra right. yeah. shot. But I mean, generally we're up high shooting down with like 5Ds with like some doublers. And the um, audio is being recorded on the prankster. Yeah, so the yeah our kids have lobs that pick up the pretty well. You know, we we never had an issue with that. And then I'm usually I'm usually like hiding pretty close, but next to the sound mixer, so I can because I'm in the kid. They're like nine, so I'm in their ears talking to them and stuff as yeah. they go through it. it. It's funny. It's been a long while since I've done something like that, and you're making me very nostalgic for it. It is yeah. pretty fun, right? Yeah, I love... I had never shot a prank before I started at DreamWorks a few years ago, so I I did not think I would love it. And I... I mean, we did a, we did a big prank thing that took us all over the country, and it was awesome. I, I miss... I, yeah, it's so much fun. It, like, feels like an improv scene. Yeah. But you're also directing. Right. But it's not scary at all. Like you're never nervous that a prank's not going to work. Oh, it's terrifying. But that's kind of part of it, right? Like, yeah, it's terrifying because you know you don't have another take 
a lot of the times once you get it wrong, it's like, okay, it's wrong. Or if you're shooting at CityWalk, you're waiting for people to come. Right. Well, and that that is the nice thing is that it takes 15 minutes before right. people have sw- And you have a fresh out. crop. Yeah. 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 Did you ever get like the teenager that was like hanging out, like who had figured out what was going on and was like we, trying to get in the video? We loved that because our kids, by the end of doing that show, our kids were fearless. So I could uh-huh. really push that kid's buttons. So uh-huh. like... The smart, you know, yeah, the the smart ass fourteen year old comes mm-hmm. in thinking he knows something, and I can get, I can make our nine year old girl get real in his face. Yeah, the kids screaming. are all wearing earwigs and she's yeah. just talking sure. to them. <laughs> so like, I when someone thought they had they they had it for us, that was like a dream. That's real. Because then we could really try weird stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. And then you have to have them sign something at the end, right? Um, not necessarily. If you have them on camera and they're like clearly going along, like basically once you've told them that's a prank show, if they look in your camera and they wave and you're on private property, it's kind of, that's pretty good. Really? Yeah. What? I always thought you have to have, I, I, not only did I not think you have to have something signed, but I feel like there's some rule that came about like a couple of years ago where you have to have people yeah. sign before you Before them. and after, yeah. I think it's dependent on when we've done it and who it's for. Yeah. yeah. The big, so after we did a bunch of the prank segments at Universal City Walk, the, the first big campaign Shane and I did was to promote the Captain Underpants um, movie that mm-hmm. came out last mm-hmm. year. And the idea for that was... We had, it was a national contest where kids across the country got to submit a prank idea, a big prank that we would do at their school. So we watched all these entries from these kids, picked our favorites, and then we had two finalists where um, I had to cold call like principals at schools and ask, hey, could we come to your school and like do this prank that one of your kids entered into a contest? And we ended up getting uh, schools on board with this. I had to be sort of, you know. Sure. Did they get um, money or anything like that? They got gifts. Yeah. um, I think it's gifts. (laughs) (laughs) No, each school got gifts tailored to the school's needs. So one school got like a bunch of new computers for their computer program. Another school got a ton of film equipment for their new, for their film department. Yeah. 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 I feel like the, the gift was like a, they didn't care about the gift. You, they whenever, cared about the fact that their, their, one of their students had been proactive enough to like uh-huh. enter a contest. Yeah. That's really what they, they were like so proud of their student. Right. What was the winning prank? So we did two, we did, uh, like 500 kids submitted something like that. 500 eligible kids. A lot of kids submitted that like weren't eligible. Contest rules are something that I like <laughs> got. I learned about as we did it. It was sure. fascinating to learn about every single rule. But um, we did. We ended up picking two winners that we would go prank their schools. I'll take one. You'll take the other. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, the first one we did was in New York. Uh, and it was a kid thought it would be funny if his classroom was haunted mm-hmm. and he had this idea of like, what if a ghost wrote on the smart board, um, which is already like great prank. Wait, yeah. And a smart board uh, is a whiteboard that's like computer yeah. controllable. Yeah. It has like, uh, it's sort of a touch screen. You like have a mechanical, you have like a digital pencil, but it like writes on the board. Is it? Is there a projector projecting on the board? Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah, it's a like an interactive projector almost. Um, and a lot of like 
I guess a lot of schools have them now. It seemed pretty common when we were looking it up. But so we had the prank was we we did have like a YouTuber involved. We had this YouTuber who was older and then our our main girl, Izzy, who we had used on the prank TV show. And for this prank, it was a substitute teacher comes in. He's a very goofy substitute teacher, way too strict. And halfway through, the classroom starts being haunted. The smart board starts giving him shit and calling him smelly and, you know, eventually says, like, your odor has awakened the spirits and the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, there is a go- a girl who looks like she's from the ring. Right. <laughs> and then he can't see her. The lights go out again, come back on. She's gone again. Right. That's the like the Brazilian are- elevator. Prank, Sim- right. right. Yeah. Very similar to that. Yeah. So then and then ours culminate in like it, the lights go out again and then he starts screaming and all of a sudden <laughs> he's gone and she's just there. And the kids are screaming and freaked out. And then we tell them it's a prank and then take them to a party we put in the teacher's lounge. <laughs> and uh, is, do, you, do you choose a classroom without windows so that when the lights we, go out, it's like really so dark? These schools were amazing. We got in the night before. We blacked out all the windows and then put the blinds down. We had like a hidden camera company help us with this one where they were taking out ceiling panels and putting the cameras wherever and wow um, they gave us access to the breaker box yeah it was i've never been more nervous than like sitting right by like the principal and superintendent at video village as we like turned the lights (laughs) out on like a classroom of sixth graders (laughs) and all the kids screamed and you could like see the staff like looking at each other like what are we doing (laughs) uh yeah, it was cool. I mean, working with like a hidden camera company was awesome because they just know it so much better yeah, than right. you. Yeah. It's it's really like it, it's like working it wasn't with any specialist. Sweet spot was it? No, Seamount. They do carpool karaoke. Yeah, and oh, they cool. were great. They like, you know, I my DP and I had like ideas like, oh, we'll hide in like a tissue box or a plant, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'd be like, that's a great idea, and other times they'd be like, no, that's like right in the line of sight, and they right. would know, right? They would kind of know these things, which was yeah. really it, helpful. It's their whole craft, basically. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. As far as you mentioned releases earlier, one of the biggest production challenges for this was we had to obviously get the principal and superintendent on board to mm-hmm. you know sign the contract for us to come to the school and film but then we also had to have the principal reach out individually to every child's parent, parent and yeah. have them sign a release before the prank happened and all before the parents before it happened yeah. yeah so we had like a yeah, classroom yeah now of, we're dealing with kids so it's different yeah, yeah so a uh, uh, like a classroom of 20 kids all had their parents sign this release without spilling the beans to and their the parents, parents have to keep it a secret for like a month cuz we weren't coming for like a month and oh, they oh man the parents on for both schools were awesome. They didn't tell any. They didn't tell any of them. Yeah, it's it such great. a fun thing because I feel like when you do a prank video, there's always that challenge of like, how are people actually going to like believe mm-hmm. what is happening? Real. And when you have like a substitute teacher coming into a classroom and acting a little off is already like very grounded in reality. So when things started going weird, like the kid, the kids were having like a huge genuine reaction to it so that was one of my favorite pranks i think that we've done now and can we see that is that on youtube yeah they're both like all of the that whole like flight of videos if you go to captain underpants pranks for good 
they would come all the videos would come up i've never heard that term before but i like it pranks, <laughs> pranks, for, good. pranks for good no a flight of video oh <laughs> yeah that's like um, a sampler pranks for good was a dreamworks thing uh they I wanted to call it something much meaner, and they were like, "It's got to seem good." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, like, "A prank Scholastic is was not like a co-producer yeah. of the movie, so right, we had to like right. convince Scholastic that a lot of that was okay. like, you know, a prank is like a little bit mean. That's just like what it is. <laughs> right. yeah, you're tricking people into believing something that's that's tr- not true, not and true. you're laughing at them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and our pranks typically are like, you know, have like a scary element mm-hmm. or like. You know, the other one had like a semi mean element, I, I think. And so, what was the other one? The other one was called the King of the School Prank. That one we shot over in Fort Irwin, which is like this military base in California. And 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 the kid's idea was that he was going to be named King of the School. So what we actually <laughs> did was we had the substitute teacher come in, and then like the middle of the class, there was like an announcement over the PA system by the principal and the announcement basically declared this kid as the king of the school. And then we suddenly like open the doors. Izzy comes in with like, uh, what's it called? Like a little bugle. Yeah. And she announces the arrival of, uh, King Ricaro. Ricaro was the, the boy who pitched this idea. And he's like, we put him in like a king costume and gave him like a throne and we had, he's like, like wheeled in, in this very immaculate <laughs> throne that like barely fit through the door. Yeah. And he like starts declaring things like there will be no more homework. And of course, like the substitute teachers freaking out and the kids like lost their minds. It was like Lord of the Flies in that classroom. Yeah. They all just started throwing papers in the air. Yeah. Are you our, serious? Yeah. Our girl who, our, our prankster Izzy, she had, we gave her these three foot pair. Wait, what's her job? She was like the royal squire. So she was like <laughs> okay. saying all the stuff for the kid. Cause like right. he's just like a regular eight year old. He's terrified. And she's your person <laughs> on the inside too. You can like tell her to do things yeah, like turn yeah. this person around or. Oh, totally. Know, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we gave her this big thing of scissors and she's going around like chopping up the homework <laughs> and stuff. Wait, so the kid himself is just like peeing his pants? The kid himself is just sitting on the throne, like semi proud of what's happening, semi like scared because it is like. (laughs) Wait, does he know it's coming or no? Yeah, he was prepped. We saw him the day before we ran through it. Because it's his idea. Yeah. 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 But he's eight years old. No, those were were sixth or seventh graders. I forget. I think they were both 11. I think both kids were either 11 or 12. Yeah, it was was very intimidating for both of those kids because it's like a film crew. Like at first, they, you know, they had a Skype call with us and it's just like two dudes. It doesn't seem that intimidating. And then like the film crew shows up and like all this gear and we're (laughs) miking them, you know, and it's like, and the prank's going to happen now. And they know like (laughs) it could mess up, you know, so they're both of those kids said nothing during the prank because they're terrified. And you're never nervous yourself or like if you are nervous, you probably like you're trying to hide it from the pranksters, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I get pretty nervous when a prank, those pranks specifically because there was no do over. There's no back. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not like they weren't like plants or anything. They're actual kids and you, it's not like we're going to get the kids to fake reactions or anything. They're, they're so you, not going to do it for us. You never would come out and be like, all right, everybody, we're going to do a quick pass where you all. So we went in. Turn your heads and look at this. So you know. what we did was. 
after we got the prank, it was successful. We then did pickups of like Izzy of the pranksters. Uh huh. The yeah. kids we got, we focused it all on them, and then we did some pickups on like jokes and lines that mm-hmm. the pranksters had. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but sense. other than that, total. Our boss at at uh, at our department is like has a very artistic view of prank. She mm-hmm. comes from like a prank background and has produced bigger prank shows, and she feels like pranks is like an art form that mm-hmm. shouldn't be like, you know, she you never yeah. she never wants a fake reaction or anything like that, huh. which I scoffed at at first. And then getting to do it, I'm like, I've drank the Kool-Aid on it. I um, feel like, I don't know, I, you've done prank stuff. I've done yeah. prank stuff. And it's always, you know, some person at like break media, the now non-existent break media being like, yeah, we'll just hire some actors and we'll just have them like be shot. Like, what's the big deal? As I'm like, I just, I just don't think this prank makes any sense. Like, why would anyone, like, walk up to this, that random microphone and sing karaoke? Like, Totally, like, yeah. And when it's a real reaction, that's when, like, a bad prank falls apart. Right. And, like, right. a really mean prank falls apart, too. Like, if they're real reactions, they have to have some semblance of fun or, like... Right. Yeah. Silliness, silliness, yeah. or the per- the reaction is going to be awful. You're going to look like a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you've got like friends who can laugh at the person and then with them a little bit as yeah. well. You know, if one person is scared but they've got like their backup that's all having a good time. Yeah, I feel like that's the secret with Jackass, right? Like Jackass, people are getting maimed constantly. But well, but at, they're doing it to themselves. They are doing it to themselves. But I really, I think, I genuinely think because the. The format for Jackass was always very clear. It was like guys having fun, saying, setting up the title and the premise, and then the laughs, the reactions are the thing that make those pranks work, even though there's not a level of surprise to it. That's what makes it okay for you to laugh at someone getting you know, bitten by an alligator or whatever it is. <laughs> right. you know? No, I, I, I actually agree. We watched a bunch of Jackass when we were doing the prank stuff. And it holds up because too. Because it's still like, tonally it yeah. feels like everyone's having fun together yeah. even when something really mean is going yeah. But even down. like when he's Johnny Knoxville is the old man or whatever and just like eating it off of like giant ramps or right? Yeah, his, yeah. Um, like he's hurting himself. He's not like hurting other people. Sure, honestly. sure. And that's something we found with pranks too is like, if we can make the joke about like the prank, if the pranksters being the mm-hmm. one ridiculed, that's why we had the substitute teacher. So we can put like the substitute teacher who is also a prankster as the subject of ridicule. Mm-hmm. And so like the joke isn't on the kids ever. Right, right. They're watching this unfold. Yeah. Was it hard casting like a really smelly substitute teacher? <laughs> well, that both both times the sub was our YouTube star oh. to generate. Wait, you, right, right. who was the? It was, was this the, guy, Jay Stu, oh, okay. um, who's got like a YouTube channel yeah, and yeah. he was, you know, our view generator as, right. in brand speak. Um, but, but most of the actual prank was put on our, our, our girl who had mm-hmm. like been doing pranks with us for a couple of years now. Right, right. I never thought that I would want to do prank videos because a lot of times when I've watched prank videos online, I just feel like they are mean spirited, but there is something about like a kid pulling off the prank that mm-hmm. just makes it more yeah. charming especially king of the school right like yeah, yeah. it's like your dream yeah <laughs> yeah that's like a prank every kid would have yeah like, i mean pitched. a lot of times right. we uh, you know and, and dan writes most of the pranks i i don't but uh, a lot of times 
worth thinking about like what would we have wanted to do as sure. kids like yeah like swindle money from adults yeah like that's, it's the home alone you know, factor basically yeah, yeah like you know we did a prank about like trying to convince adults to help sneak you into an r-rated movie at citywalk you know like <laughs> it was just like things like oh what is like something that like as a kid you'd want to do if you had like right all the reasons if you knew you wouldn't get in trouble right. what's something you would do to random adults um <laughs> But right. the, the like buy me cigarettes, booze, drugs, yeah. <laughs> a lot of that. Um, we did a we did one that was like a, a girl outside of Starbucks and said that Starbucks cut her off and she wanted people <laughs> to go buy her a coffee and she was like wearing a business suit. <laughs> and then people would go in and get like a hot coffee and bring it out to her. And I played like her older brother and I like came up and I would I I normally don't like acting in them, but we usually have such low budgets that we just have to put ourselves in them. So I had to like come up as an actor and like tell the mark like hey did you give my little sister like a coffee like it's really bad for her. you shouldn't have done that and izzy secretly like swapped the hot cup that he just got with like a cold cup and then she would like yell at me and splash it in my face and i would scream like i just got burned <laughs> yeah that's that's awesome it that's sounds, her that's her favorite that's her fun. favorite prank by the way yeah we've done so many yeah. pranks we and we end up just like prank on our on our shows we like our our crew i feel like we we work with a lot of the same people and just when you're when you're doing kid content and making pranks like you, it's just like a really fun time on set and i feel like we prank each other now yeah and i i will say the thing about the this captain underpants prank thing that like leads to the show is it was a big it was a it was a really it was a big budget for a mm-hmm. branded thing it was mm-hmm. a bigger budget than we've been offered before the, at dreamworks and the goal was like okay because we're both, we both come from a line producing background. If we can get, if we can give, take full responsibility of this project and mm-hmm. take full responsibility of that budget and deliver, we think they'll trust us like again. Right. And right. again. And you then, saw that it was an opportunity to prove yourselves as a creative entity with a real yeah. amount of resources. Yeah. yeah. And we also saw that. The more like separate we'd we'd be like, oh, we'll we'll take care of it. You don't have to do anything. And then the more separate we became, we realized like, oh, maybe they'll start trusting us with big amounts of money and not interfering at all again. And that kind of happened over we did that project in early 2017. We we did like a few other projects and then we got the TV show in July. Yeah, it was summer of 2017. July 2017. So by then we delivered like fully on a few projects, mm-hmm. include this being the biggest one. And so by the time the TV show came, it was it was basically like they they were like, here, this is the budget we're it. all yeah. we're all agreeing to go shoot it and it. we'll see you in eight months yeah. when you're done. Yeah. And it was rock and roll guys. That that's like that was the big thing about that that thing where we were putting all this pressure on ourselves because we were like, they have to trust us to like to the T because we know something's coming eventually where we're going to want to like, just like say, okay, give us the money and we'll come back. Yeah. That's awesome. Man, hearing you guys talk about these pranks makes me feel like they're really fun though. I've every prank thing I've ever done has pretty much been terrible and not fun, but it's because <laughs> I think we always, the, pr- the prank idea isn't great. It's like usually one beat. It's not like, 10 beats like yeah you it's not need written to like, a little bit yeah yeah and it's always like some producer saying like let's just hire actors and just have them do it because 
you know, yeah. we, have, we have to shoot 17 pranks in one day, you know. Um, my wife was on, she was on three prank shows. She was on two seasons, well, two, three seasons, two seasons of Disaster Date on MTV and one show called Jerks with Cameras. But the, it's like one of the most fascinating things ever, like how they produce those and they're all like totally real and how they like deck out a whole restaurant and that in those shows are interesting because only one person is not in on it, you know? There's yeah. like, and the entire production is built around them. Yeah, I don't know, prank stuff. The other thing about the, this prank, you know, thing that we did for Captain Underpants that I, we were talking about this morning is that we had kind of forgotten about is, so it was branded for Captain Underpants and we delivered the videos, it was all good and they were like, we want clips in of the movie in the... <laughs> throughout the prank like you know like the teachers being weird and we want to cut to the animated movie and you will cut to one of the kids face palming or saying like so awkward or whatever you know whatever <laughs> right. it was um and we felt and you weren't planning on that at all. we weren't planning That's on a, that and we felt yeah. like we had done our part the the logo of the movie was in the corner at the start of the video we say like welcome to this thing brought to you by captain underpants mm-hmm. and we showed a clip from the movie like we thought we had done our part a, a, in showcasing the movie Right. And so our la- our final straw was like, no, we won't put these clips in the movie. And w- what's the quote? We got a note from an executive that said something to the effect of, I understand that you guys want to protect the integrity of the prank, but I got to sell movie tickets. <laughs> um, and he's right. And we like took a stand and the next day our... We we were told well at the end of that day we were told we got an email that basically was like give us the videos, and we did. And the next day the videos had clips in them. Yeah, they gave them to a trailer house, and 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 they still worked. Like it was just one of those things I think where we were just a little blindsided because it wasn't in the initial creative, and then we thought we were like done and really happy with our edits, and then all of a sudden we were told we need to just sort of shoehorn in. Yeah. And you'd gone through rounds of notes already as well. Yeah, exactly. This was the final pass. Uh, They, yeah, the videos ended up fine. I don't think anyone who watches them now would be like, oh my God, so much product placement. But at the time we thought we were like taking a stand and we were quickly put in our place. Well, I I think it's funny how that stuff does happen sometimes. And it sounds to me like you guys had gone through enough rounds of notes where everyone had signed off, signed off, signed off. Everyone was feeling good. And then someone client side showed it to their boss because now it's ready. And then that boss was like, I thought we were promoting Captain Underpants in this prank. What What are you doing? I spent $200,000 on this prank yeah. video. And then all of a sudden things had to change. I guarantee that's what and happened. And that, that's like a standard advertising saying. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, we got to sell sandwiches. At the end of the day, we got to sell shoes. I mean, I have everything I've ever worked on. Someone has said that to me at some point because I'm trying to like make you know give entertainment value and they're trying to sell a product yeah and and to their credit they like especially the people we've worked with at like doing either dreamworks movies or dreamworks tv shows because we've done branded content for both they've both been really both sides have been really excited of like oh here's like a creative aspect we're gonna do to promote Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. product that like is something we can maybe brag about at dinner or something it's different it's not just a trailer um so they have been really good with our like more zany ideas um 
By yeah. the way, I think it's like awesome for you to stand your ground. Like I've I've seen that work many times. It doesn't yeah. always work. Usually it doesn't work. But like saying like, hey, we feel really strongly about this. Sometimes it does work. So it's like and the people, you know, like I said, there's there's a few people in between the people giving that mandate and you guys. So your bosses respect you a little bit more for it. You know what I mean? Your job is to do a good is to protect the creative and to make it as good as you can. That's what you're saying. Sometimes you get overruled. Yeah, as long I as you're not like throwing a tantrum about it at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, I think us being a little hot-headed at times has worked out in our benefit nine out of ten times. And even then when they took the thing and put in the clips, it's not like they were mad at us. They were just like, we don't have time for this. We're putting in the clips. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but and and I'm glad they I'm glad they did it over us because then we didn't have any notes on it. They were yeah. very happy with the clips. Yeah, they, they did that the they put in. Yeah. Uh, so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> but well, no, I mean that like I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a clip I think. Uh, but that's perfect, right? <laughs> yeah, it worked. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was like a life. It was just a life lesson of like, oh, like sometimes they will just tell you this. Is, we own this. I think we might have been wrong. Like, I watch it now, and I think when it cuts to the clips, it's pretty funny. I think we were just getting on our high horses. I don't know. <laughs> I also I, think for kids, they don't think that's maybe as cheesy as we would think. It yeah, is. yeah, if you're doing branded content for a brand that the kids like, why not? Like, yeah. right after that, we did this thing for Dino Trucks um, called We Build It, We Break It, where kids build something really crazy and then come up with an even crazier way to destroy it. And was sponsored by Dino Trucks. The kids that we're advertising to already love dino trucks. Why not put a ton of dino trucks in it? They like it. Like right. it's not. They're also not jaded. They're not like, ugh, you're trying to sell me dino trucks. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, for that one, I think we kind of learned our lesson, and we're like, oh, we're gonna like, we're gonna put it in as much as we can because they they like it. They think it's cool. Yeah, and I think if I'm like psychoanalyzing ourselves, when we did that We Build It, We Break It show for Dino Trucks, it was at the same time that we had just gotten a TV show where we really felt like we had this like creative autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time that we were doing our Captain Underpants prank videos, we sure. didn't have that other project that was yeah, like our yeah. passion project. And we really made that one our passion project. Dan's no, right. No. Like as, when we got the TV show, that felt like our passion project. So our other branded projects, we were willing to deliver whatever they wanted because we had this other thing that we were being like creatively fulfilled right. by. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you're doing branded content, you have to realize like what is the what is the goal of this video and you need to give client like what they want and not just see it as an excuse for you to get to make whatever, right. whatever you think but, is cool. But you get to make, if you, if they put their thing in and it gets like 10,000 views and you do it your way and it gets like 10 million views, then if that happens like twice, then you get to basically call the shots after that. You yeah, know? that's true. We've been lucky where the past few branded things have done really well. So we've been able to like yeah. Kind of go. Right. You our, sell yourself as it. experts, kind of. Uh, yeah. In space. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh. I, I think that that is really the thing you're fighting. Is it's like there's a difference. It's not like you think you're an artiste necessarily. It's more like, oh, we just, people won't like it if you do it this way too many times, you know? Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than making a brand video that people don't like. Yeah, like it's I'd which is like, like most brand. It's pretty brutal. It <laughs> it's, does. Feel, it's hard because yeah. you didn't you didn't feel good making it, yeah. and now people are telling you they didn't like it. You're like, I know, yeah. I didn't like yeah. it when yeah. we I, made it. I knew better. I tried to stop them. There's yeah. nothing worse than the feeling of 
looking at an old video you did and seeing that they had to turn the comments off on the YouTube video. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Right. The nicest. That is brutal. Yeah. Well, we haven't even talked about your show and I feel like we must know like how you got a full time like when yeah. I worked with Shane before you were a producer who was had a full time job in an advertising agency it was not that long ago like four years ago yeah and Dan worked at College Humor producing stuff Matt had directed yeah a couple things you were a full time. Yeah, You're one I basically, of two teams. I think I spent like four years at College Humor and I started as like production intern. Then I was uh, like a payroll accountant. Then I became <laughs> a production coordinator, moved out to L.A. from New York when they shut down production in New York and were doing it out here. And then I was like a producer out here for all of 2016. And I think I did like I produced like 70 sketches in yeah. one year. It was and just like met, a crazy. We met in 2016 then. Yeah, Shane and I met through College Humor. We were all part of that circle, and that essentially led to us working together at DreamWorks TV down the road. And that Wait, was you when told, they were doing- you told me you remember our first conversation. I want to hear it. Well, I think like the first time Shane is like the most laid back guy, and I think I was producing a show where I needed to rent a house. And you know, when you're doing like the digital shorts for College Humor, you have a very tight budget, and so Shane, what's like a tight budget? Like a thousand dollars. Um, I mean, it varied. Like at times, I would be doing something for like uh, ten thousand dollars, perhaps. But but you have to rent a house for like five hundred bucks. Right? Exactly. In fact, I think I I remember I called Shane and asked if we could like rent his apartment for six hundred dollars, and he was like, Yeah, whatever. Like, come on over. And and it was just so great, and I was so excited that the director was happy with the look of the apartment, and we were going to be all set. And then I found out like they were cracking down legal about like how you actually have to have the owner of the building sign right. a location agreement. And since Shane was just a renter, not the owner, I had to call Shane and be like, hey, man, like I got to cancel the shoot because you like don't own the place. And Shane was just like, all right, whatever, man. <laughs> I had like probably a- forgotten about it. <laughs> but I, I was pretty bummed because, you know, when you when you are doing like an ambitious video for, you know, 10 grand, like every line item counts. And uh, we probably ended up getting an actual house for two grand. (laughs) But so we met in 2016. We pitched the show. I was doing Junk Drawer that whole time. Junk Drawer Magic as the director. So how did you transition from producer to director? So, right. So I I moved out here in January 1st, 2012. I got my first job through College Humor as a production coordinator. Started producing pretty quickly after that. You know, produced for both of you guys. And I jumped around a lot. I like... I worked at College Humor. I, I've worked at like I feel like yeah. most of your digital yeah. companies. That's I, the freelance yeah. life, basically. You were like rather than be full time anywhere, you just kind of built your network all over the place. Yeah, basically. and so I did College Humor. Who would hire guy. you? Directors um, would recommend you, or so. Um, for the digital stuff, it was like it was your production manager of the office, whoever was staffing it up. It wasn't the director. Um. And then I I went and did a bunch of features because I also wanted to like produce features and stuff. And that was usually either the executive producer or if I was like a UPM, it was the producer. Um, and a bunch is like ten of features. Yeah, I did five. Okay. And the whole reason of like I always wanted to direct, but I was like fresh out of school and I wanted to just be around directors and the fresh out me, of film school. Yeah, fresh. I went to Florida State. Um, the best way for me to be around directors I thought was to be a producer because I noticed like producers get to sit next to the directors all day yeah and it's like either producer or boom up 
I've found. It's another way to be like right in the middle of the action. Boom ups do know what's going on in a way that's always fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Dolly grips are pretty. Or are pretty they good comedically too. have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I produced up until. And I was like directing stuff on the side, you know, through like. Like your own thing? Yeah, like sketch comedy or like stuff with like a bunch of UCB kids or something like that, just on my own. And luckily. And writing too? And writing. And luckily, I was working at like places like College Humor or Funny or Die. So they'd like feature my videos, which was really helpful for when I. My first directing job was directing like um, the digital web stuff for disney channel where it'd be like disney channel actors going like hi my my name's so and so my favorite color is red what's your favorite color tell me you know tell me below or and i happened to show one of my very dumb youtube sketches to someone who worked at disney who then got me in touch with someone who worked at dreamworks and then i got like a producer director they were looking for someone who knew how to produce and and was like interested in directing their own stuff. Which yeah, was, they were like, "Hey, we want to pay one salary and get ex- two jobs." Exactly. And, and did you someone, edit too? Was it like a predator type? Thing? No, they they weren't looking I for someone who had so I, I just t- have to jump in. And say that. <laughs> that's that's my least favorite word. In the I world. think it's over. I, I don't think that I think people. It's fairly over. Yeah. yeah. I got a directing job at Disney, and I was editing also because I mm-hmm. liked my editing better than other people's editing. Um, and then my boss started referring to me as a predator to people, and mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. "I'm not a predator. Like, <laughs> just call me the director." You know, I was like, so I felt like it yeah. kind of cut me down in a mm-hmm. way. I they they had Dreamers were really nice, where they they clearly wanted someone they could pay one salary to who could direct and produce, but they were very willing to. They knew I wanted to direct, and they were willing to foster that and let me. They yeah. let me direct. It wasn't like they would, it wasn't like a carrot they were dangling or anything. They were really willing to like grow me into that, oh, which cool. was, which was, yes. Yeah, were there nice other directors there? There is no full time one, no. Mm-hmm. So Dan was not working full time at DreamWorks. At no. That. And he's still, Dan actually isn't full time there. Um, he just comes in per project. Freelance and fancy free. I love oh, it. Yeah. Matt, I remember when I quit producing a college humor, I remember you said to me, like, that's awesome. I support yeah, people yeah. quitting their jobs. And I feel like it was one of the, I, I loved college humor because I feel like it taught me how production works. And I met so many amazing people and learned a lot. But ultimately, when I decided to quit the full-time job and go freelance, it enabled me to start getting creative work. Yeah. Um, and, I, and it did immediately. Like, you were writing on a TV show, like, a week later? Um, it was a few months later, but <laughs> it, 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 Which it was pretty quick. Oh, middle of the night show? It was middle of the night show for MTV, a short-lived late-night comedy show. Uh, that was so much fun to make. Yeah, we had really Paul funny. Briganti on. He directed that, right? Yeah, Paul and um, another guy, Matt Kasman, were our directors on that oh, show. Cool. So we were both, we were jumping around at yeah, yeah. different places before Dan started just writing as a freelancer full-time, and I got the DreamWorks job and we started I think we pitched the TV show I think we pitched the TV show in March of 2017 and we heard back that they were going to do 10 episodes by May mm-hmm. so it was really quick and it wasn't like a there was no pilot it was just great just we like the series. we yeah. like the five page word doc um, the hundred, the hundreds of web videos were sort of like the proof right. of concept, right? But we saw it as an opportunity to not just do 
DIY, but to basically write like a kid's sitcom and mm-hmm. then sort of figure out how to fit the the DIY tutorials into the show. So it's sort of half kid's sitcom, half magic DIY tutorial show. Yeah, it's a weird show where it's it's a full sitcom and then one time in Act 1 and one time in Act 3 our characters literally turn to camera and start teaching you how to build a magic <laughs> trick that they did previously in the episode. So um, interesting. I guess in a kid's show you can do that sort of weird like format bending, you know? I mean, we'd, we've like, never seen it done. Did Mr. Wizard ever do that? I feel like there were maybe kids in the Mr. Wizard show that but it wasn't this it wasn't yeah. like a narrative. I mean, Sesame yeah, Street it's not that. a full but yeah, they're not full true. narrative like thirty minute yeah. arcs. Sesame um, Street kind of is. But it right. would still it would be different segments. Do you know what I mean? Like it was rare that you would you know, like Gordon would stop and turn to the camera and be like, Now, you know, I guess yeah. the letter of the I watch day all, or whatever. You I watch, watch a lot of Sesame, Sesame Street. Street. Um mm-hmm. And it's it's actually pretty good. And they do these really amazing parodies. They did this like it's House of really Cards good. parody. Yeah. It's like amazing with the three little yeah. pigs and like how he's like fooling the kid. It's the yeah. pigs. And of course that's the House of Cards format, but he talks to the camera. But a lot. for our <laughs> yeah, demo, sure. it was a little for our demos obviously older. It's for like eleven right. year olds. And so it was we we were kind of wondering like, is this gonna work? Is this gonna pan yeah. out to to like change your genre twice in an episode? I think it kind of works. It's It was also challenging. This was the first time where, because of network standards, we had to hit exactly 22 minutes. One thing that's kind of nice is when you have a DIY tutorial twice an episode, you have a little bit of wiggle room in terms of mm-hmm. like, why don't we hold on like the scissors cutting the cardboard one second longer in <laughs> order to hit our runtime? Yeah. And it was also nice to know like, you know, we were given our budget before we started writing. So we knew what we were we had our we already we had our budget and we had our line producer and he was sitting right outside the writer's room so he was constantly hearing our pitches or just getting drafts of the scripts mm-hmm. and you know the bigger if we knew it if we knew an episode was going to be a bigger budget maybe that DIY section's a little bit longer mm-hmm. so that you can account for right. like okay there's less pages in this episode so you know interesting how important is it for your episodes to all be roughly around the same budget or do you just get one number for the whole season and you can kind of our budget was so small that they were able to give us just one number for like you know it was basically like making an indie feature and you get to choose this episode will be the cheap one and this one will be the expensive one yeah we had yeah exactly you know we had some more um you know we had an episode our pilot episode has a has multiple ghosts in it and that was VFX heavy or we had an episode where two of our characters are turned into cards and that's like puppeting and roto and animation and all that stuff. Um, and then as opposed to like the arcade episode, which I think you guys saw, um, that's like a cheaper episode. They like go to an arcade, the guy, the girl that he's, has a the our main character has a crush on turns out to be a witch she's evil like it's it's less a um, big thing you'll see in all of our episodes is that at a certain point a char- one of our main characters is either like sucked into something or <laughs> becomes something else cuz we wrote a show with two 14 year olds that are in every single scene and very right. quickly we brought our first AD in and we had 22 days we shot the whole thing in 22 oh, yeah. did days did you block shoot and our first AD was like, this is impossible. Because uh, of so, all the school. Yeah, we shot during the school year. 
So how many hours does a 14 year old need? Uh, I mean, three hours of schooling. I think we had them on set for like nine and a half hours a day. And then you take out three hours for school. You take out their lunch break. They also yeah. need certain um, rest. And it, <laughs> so, it was not so a lot of time. So you get six hours of shooting? Something like that. And did yeah. you have money for stand-ins? Are you having like somebody come and block and all of that stuff? No. Yeah. We didn't have any stand-ins or anything like that. I mean, a, a big thing was... Just being, you know, having shot designed it so specifically, especially because we're block shooting. Um, but you can just feed them like Cheez-Its and like nerds and stuff, right? You don't have to like spend a lot of money on food. For? Because they're kids. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, they're 14 year olds who live in LA. Their diets are pretty like. like kale and quinoa, please. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, really, they're, you know, they're not like your average. They're, they definitely ate healthier than I eat now. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were luckily enough. They're like, again, we've known them. For, I've known them for two years. I, their first acting, I, I had one, I gave them one of their first acting gigs. So it was like, um, not only did I have a shorthand with them, but also this is like a big deal for them. So they took it so seriously. They're not like, it's not like they've had multiple TV right, shows before. Right. So like when we showed up, to set on day one, they had all 200 pages memorized. They wow. were not, yeah, they knew it all. And so we could block shoot and I could run through, we were never waiting on them. Uh, we could run through pages and pages because they knew the lines. Mm -hmm. They picked up the, you know, I had to compromise on blocking sometimes. Like, sure. you know, with your AD, you get like, okay, here's your big scene for the day. You get to do 20 shots and then you have to run through now four scenes that have like cross coverage because you just wasted all the interesting stuff on that one scene. And to their credit, they're not just like memorizing these lines, but they're very quickly learning magic tricks. Like we have <laughs> dozens of magic tricks performed on the show. And when you're filming a magic trick, like right. you cannot show any of the gimmick. So I think the magic tricks were probably like the hardest in terms of sure. coverage to make sure. Sometimes, like, well, you don't want to cut away either, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you can't phone it in. It has to be in the right spot. It has to be lit right. All of that stuff. Yeah. And That's now so we're putting it in a narrative setting. It's right. not like we're doing it in a reality. Like, you put in, like, right. Reality, the guy can be like, here, camera guy, zoom in on this and look at this. Thing. Exactly. Or the camera guy in a lot of magic shows on the street, the camera guy is an experienced magic shooter so he can anticipate oh mm -hmm. he's like about to flash something i'm going to move a little to the right right we're in a narrative setting the camera can't just start moving to like compensate right. for the trick so we're doing the tricks 14 times you know to get it right so yeah. it becomes harder than the stunts we had <laughs> like as far <laughs> as time wise yeah yeah, I mean, it is, it, it's not unlike a stunt, except yeah. for that just no one's in danger, hopefully, right? Yeah, yeah. And who edited the show? Um, so my co-director, Justin, edited a, about half the episodes, and then we had other editors that and, we had worked with. And you guys yeah. are pretty involved in that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys are the showrunners. Yeah. Correct? Pretty much, Yeah, yeah. Um, For lack of, is there anyone else who's show running? So we like, had basically we were the co EPs, and then we had an executive producer who right. was essentially our showrunner, but she 
Like just has more experience, like TV yeah, on her yeah, resume. Yeah, exactly. Like she was, was she there every day? She was never on set, yeah, but yeah. she read all of our scripts, gave us the notes, made right. sure they were tonally there. But as far as she didn't, she wasn't like writing or anything. But yeah, right. she you know, but she has a larger job at DreamWorks and has a lot more responsibilities and other things right. to go off and do. So, yeah, so she, she kind of shepherded the project, but you guys did the nuts and bolts of everything yeah exactly i think there was like a trade-off like it was a low budget show but with the low budget came so much creative freedom like Mm -hmm. i've never heard of people getting to make a tv show where the network is not reading the scripts or reviewing cuts like yeah it's it's a crazy situation this is uh where does it live what's so this will live on universal kids which is a cable Right, Channel. so so it's yeah. it's broadcast technically. Yeah, and we did follow like broadcast specs, and yeah. you know we knew the rules going in and all that stuff. And there were people, there were people watching us as far as sure. guidelines go and making right. sure we were like following the rules. Yeah, you weren't setting a kid on fire or anything. Right, yeah. right. Um, Is it available? Will it potentially get to Netflix or one of those streaming services? We don't know. Um, it'll definitely be on like the Universal Kids streaming. We've had YouTube commenters on the Junk Drawer Magic web series request that Junk Drawer Magical Adventures be made available on Netflix. So hopefully, they, hopefully yeah. they see those YouTubers. Well, I have some friends that are on Netflix kids shows, and that, that's what they said, that like Netflix is like amping up the kids shows. And since mm-hmm. it's Universal, they could pick that up unless Universal wants to save it for their Yeah, we haven't service. heard we haven't heard anything about it, so... They don't tell us that much. (laughs) It is really funny when you, you you make these shows, right? And then you never really know like where it's going to end up. Like I feel like I did, I I worked at um, Disney digital for a while and I got to make like this really fun puppet show. And I was like at the mall one day and I went into a Disney store and this video I directed was like playing on the little, the screen there. Yeah. And then I like, I like took a picture of, uh, the episode playing and like a Disney store employee like came up to me and I was like by myself and they were like, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? You're like nothing. It was the funniest reversal. Cause I told them that I like, I, I made that video and like, they were like, Oh my God, let me get the book. And they brought out like a book where like, I guess Disney cast members like, Oh, that's if they funny. Visit the store they signed, but she definitely thought I was, Initially up to no good. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed so, to like yeah. just start taking pictures in a Disney store. Yeah, no. sure. Especially, especially, especially like not when you a look tall like man me. with a beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, cool. So if people want to find out more about the show, how do they? Any tips? Should they follow you guys on Twitter or something? Um, they can follow Dan on Twitter. Uh, what, Shane's not on social it. media. What are you on Twitter, Dan? I'm. I don't use Twitter that often, but I'm at ds Siegel. And then at DS Seagulls, then also my Instagram handle. And that's S I E G E L. That's right. Correct. Not, yeah. I mean, Junk like Drawer Magical Adventures is the name of the show. And it will, it's on Universal Kids' yeah. website right now. Oh, cool. Coming soon. Before we move on to our next segment, any final tips? You guys have made pranks and kids' shows sound like so much fun. If a listener is like, oh, man, this sounds like a great way to break in. Is there anything you give our listeners, like a little tip to dip their toe in that water? Or it can be anything. Like if you, I mean, to be frank, you guys, I don't know when you moved to LA, but you came in 2012. You haven't been here that long. You already have a TV show on the air. It's pretty amazing. 
What's do you guys have any tips for like the young youth about the getting to be writers and directors and filmmakers? Um, what I would say is like, don't be afraid of set. I mean, the the reason like I got to I got here this fast is because I was producing and I met so many people through mm-hmm. producing, which was great. Um, LA can be like. It's hard to meet people and stuff, but Seth's like the best place to meet people. Yeah, that's true. Um, Rather and, than like at an office or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And when you're on set, you're like helping people achieve someone's vision, right? So like, I felt I found that like the doing production and meeting new crews every other week and mm-hmm. all these new people, it only helped me like establish connections. And I mean, most of my almost all of my friends I've met out here have been on a set. Um, so that, that's my like thing is getting on as many sets as you can, even if it's low, you know, I, I wasn't a good PA, so I wouldn't recommend PA cause I don't have any thing to say <laughs> about it. But I, I, I think getting on as many sets as possible. Yeah. I guess if I could give advice, it would be like, don't lock yourself into one particular track that you think is like the way. Mm-hmm. to do what you want to do. I mean, like, I started out as a payroll accountant at College <laughs> Humor for a year and a half, and I did not like doing that. But at the same time, I became one of the favorite people in the office because I was literally giving yes. checks to <laughs> the producers and crew members. So that just transitioned into me getting to um, work in production, and then working in production led to me getting to um, start writing. So... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And I also like, I say when, when opportunities are presented to you and they maybe sound like not the experience you thought you'd be having, like I never thought I would be writing kid pranks, like just try it out. Like I ended up writing kid pranks and it led to me getting to write and produce like a kid's television show that I'm really proud of. So yeah, not being afraid to make that jump is like a great, like I, I do remember three years into LA when I was all, I, I finally had like established myself as like a producer and I was getting work. And I was like, you know, I'm going to make I was, like, afraid to make that jump to director before, like, a director friend was, like, just start directing or you'll never do it. I I think you're right on that. Awesome. Great, guys. Uh, That was awesome. We are going to do our final segment called Unpaid Endorsements. Unpaid Endorsements. Um, I'll endorse a really dumb one. I mean, probably a lot of people. If you need to know about this, you probably know about it already. My, my favorite thing about <laughs> these caveats is that your l- level of expertise and exposure to the thing I'm sure you're about to endorse is so much greater than most people. So when you're like, oh, man, I'm sure you've heard about this plugin that everybody's using on After Effects. It's been out for like two weeks. Well, you know, what I, mean? I don't know. In the circles that I... That I traverse online, everyone knows. It's like, have you guys heard of Avengers Infinity War? That's to me, that's what it sounds like. But sure. um, do you guys ever care about middle clicking on your computer? Like in the middle, you know, you, there's left click and right click, and like on a traditional like PC mouse, what? there's a middle click. Like the middle click is like the the scrolling button, you know, like on the wheel. Sure. Is or like or old no? mice had three buttons, but yeah, newer one, I guess, like a newer like 2001 Logitech mouse might have that scrolling thing. But I think most of us are like using Apple computers and magic mm-hmm. mice probably. There's no buttons, but if you click on the left, it's a left click and on the right, it's a right click. Well, so if you ever do any like 3D graphics or any graphic stuff in general, like the middle click becomes like really useful to have three ways to click a mouse because in 3D space, 
You're always oh, rotating, you're zooming, and you're like transforming like space. So I just uh, bought this thing called the Better Touch Tool today. It like lets you reprogram your whole Magic Mouse. Oh, you can, of course, right, guys? Well, Better Touch Tool. No, it's I never thought I would want another <laughs> touch on a mouse. I thought the left and right was good. Well, that that's, I guess, the where the caveat comes from, is that 99% of people don't care about middle clicking, but it does let you do... You know, like if you double tap like the bottom of your mouse or whatever, you'll zoom in. You can just kind of reprogram what the whole interface of your Magic Mouse does. And like for me, one of the apps I use, like when you move your finger on the mouse, it like scrolls like insanely un- in a, an insane way that I hate. And so with Better Touch Tool, I can turn off scrolling when I'm in that app oh, automatically. Nice. So if you hate your mouse for some reason, check out Better Touch Tool. It'll let you fix everything you hate about it, your Magic Mouse specifically. It's pretty good, man. You can also reprogram your trackpad on your MacBook. Is there like a middle clicking community? Like it sounds like people. (laughs) I bet there's a MCC. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, anyone that's ever done 3D graphics is like all about the middle click, and it's one of the reasons people prefer PCs over Macs for 3D stuff. Huh. That's what I got. How about you guys? (laughs) I guess my unpaid endorsement would be the um, the Greatest Showman. The movie. Um, which is now available on Blu-ray and 4K. It, it's a movie that I think is so underrated. It's. Are you joking? I'm not joking. Like, so Shane and I saw this three times in theaters. <laughs> okay. And so we, we did a sing-along. Actually, recently we rented out the Los Feliz 3 cinema. Chris actually rented it out as a surprise for Shane on his birthday. And we had like a bunch of friends who showed up <laughs> and we all did the sing-along. And gen- honestly, I'm, I'm telling you, if you... If you, I know everyone has heard about this movie, The Greatest Showman. I imagine a lot of the listeners have not actually seen it, but it is such a blast. The music's really good. It's from the guys who did La La Land, and I, I like the music and Greatest Showman way more than the music. Is it La La Baz Lerman directed? Who directed it's it? It's a first-time director. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He, came, like a he came from a VFX guy. background. Oh, really? And yeah. it's it's a gorgeous film. Sold. Really cool transition. It's like, have you ever watched a musical from like? the 30s and been like man if this came out now it'd be so weird it's like if that (laughs) happened like they tried to do like a 1930s musical in 2018 i think they succeeded yeah i think if you watch this movie you will love the song so much you'll start listening to the soundtrack you'll want to host like a greatest showman sing-along party and i feel like it has the potential to become like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, just in terms of like people getting together to watch this film. The the thing about this, because I know you guys personally and are, am aware of your fascination with The Greatest Showman, is I'm still trying to parse how much irony there is in this whole thing. And it, to me, it feels like zero, but that you know that it's funny that you like it as much well, as you do. Well, there's a lot of is smiling from Dan over here. I mean, what I, I'm smiling just because, like, the movie gives me so much joy. I think, <laughs> I think like, and the you, filmmakers you are, it's, it's just so, like, unabashedly fun. Like, it's not ashamed of itself at all. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not like, I think a lot of people, like, look at a film like that and they think it needs to be, like, some sort of prestige biopic. Mm-hmm. And like the very first song is all about like take all that's real and leave it behind. Like, you know, the history of P.T. Barnum is not great, but they were like, we don't want to make a movie about that. We want to make a movie where we are inspired by his imagination and just like completely rewrite history, which is similar to, I guess there's a song called Rewrite the Stars, which is my favorite. 
I mean, I, I could go on and on about <laughs> The Greatest Showman, but I... Yeah, we could talk for another hour about Greatest Showman. I, I think there is a level of it's it's a very earnest movie, and it brings out like a very earnest... Uh, for, the fan, for people who are fans, it brings out this very like... This overtly earnest appreciation of it that can mm. seem like a joke. Um, I think we're aware... I'm aware that people think it's silly how much we like it. I'm aware of that for sure, but, like, I genuinely love this movie and, like, want to, like, do a sing-along, like, every year for the rest of my life because of how much (laughs) I enjoy it. I will also say the the bad guy in the film is a critic, right? Uh And the critic, like, you guys can, like, cut this part. I'm just going to. (laughs) But basically the critic, like, tells P.T. Barnum that his circus is garbage and and Barnum says something to the effect of, like, when was the last time that you actually, like, found joy in the theater? And the critic is just stumped, and he's like, now there, now there's an imposter. You know, like, he's like, you're the fraud. And I feel like it's addressing the people who, like, they, they have to take this film so seriously. They can't just enjoy it for what it is. Well, <laughs> greatest showman. We'll check it out. <laughs> I... And you know what? I, I just need to watch it with you guys. That's the move. I would yeah. say Have it is not. It? No. It's like watching. I mean, I've called it the Fast and Furious of musicals because it's <laughs> it's it's, it's so re- bad. It's good. See, I wouldn't qualify Wait, Fast, and, Fast Furious and Furious that. I would say that it's the most extreme version of itself. I do. I, I would say <laughs> it's like it's it's like a it's the most extreme version. It's of a high itself. octane musical. Yeah. And so, like, I would not recommend watching Fast and Furious alone. I did so, that. It is disappointing. Yes. I would watch that with a group of people the same way I would watch a movie like this with a group of people. I almost fell asleep during Fast Five, which was, I think, the best reviewed of the of that franchise. Yeah, it's just it's just so ridiculous. It's like kind of boring, I find. But yeah. Mm. But I'll check out Greatest Showman because I like musicals. This one has me. Yeah, it's music. So I might keep you out. There you go. Um, you got anything? I do. Can it be like L.A. specific? Yeah. yeah. All right. This is L.A. specific, but it's something I recently got into, which is Up the Road at the Vista, which is the 35 millimeter club. Mm-hmm. I don't, you guys maybe have done it. It's I'm blanking on his name right now, but it's a it's a guy who runs this and he's just like he has a love of 35 millimeter films. And between once and twice a week, he shows films in their original prints yeah. uh over at the vista sometimes other locations yeah and it's at midnight but also sometimes like there are sometimes more reasonable it's like screenings at yeah 10 30 on a saturday yeah, yeah. in the morning yeah so sometimes it's a more reasonable screening but he has great taste he takes suggestions mm-hmm. which is awesome um there's a little bit of theming to it too right he'll do like blocks right yeah Sometimes it's good to go to the theater and see a movie that you're going to watch and you're not going to hear like people's opinions on like it would be silly to like go watch Singing in the Rain and then like read the reviews. Yeah. See on Facebook people talking about it. 100 percent. You're purely going as a fan and you're not going as a critic or anything and you're not going to go to your office the next day and hear like everyone's hot take about Singing in the Rain. It's just established as a good movie. Unless it's called La La Land. (laughs) um no so i secret uh it's called 35 millimeter club i think um and that's it's like my new favorite thing out here what did you see most recently most recently i saw great dictator oh wow um which was awesome like seeing an original print of that um i have also seen singing in the rain on Um, 35 yeah it was great yeah cool we saw when harry met sally Oh, um, nice. 30, and it was super fun. And um, 
the crowd was probably into it. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was a perfect crowd. Yeah. That's a cool thing that is only, like, I grew up in Florida. So moving to LA, loving movies, you're like, there is like magical elements to it. Seeing a classic movie with a full theater who like want to enjoy it mm -hmm. is something like I never thought I'd experience, but like, yeah, going to the theater to see Jaws and like hearing people scream and laugh yeah. and all this stuff is like, it's pretty amazing. It's something like I think you take for granted living in LA. Let me recommend if you're down for, for the communal classic movie experience, the, the, I've talked about it a bunch, but the cemetery does the screenings all, all summer long, but their July 3rd screening is always kind of like a 4th of July. They'll, they'll do a 4th of July one as well, but the 3rd tends to be like a little off kilter. They show fireworks and it's always like a movie that you haven't seen in a while, but you're excited to see again. This year they're doing Thelma and Louise. It's going to be a blast. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. we got tickets. Did you? Yeah. Are oh, you guys man. going? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. We'll see you there. Yeah. And they, yeah, they launched the fireworks. Like I saw um, Dirty Dancing last year oh, and fun. they launched the fireworks, you know, right when he picks up Jennifer Grey. And, so great. And so it's like kind of this perfect. I saw Jurassic Park thing. there two years ago and it fucking tore the roof off the place. There isn't a roof, but metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Cool. Cool, man. Um, well, mine actually is a, straight out of Oren's school of thought, actually. Um, it's a YouTube channel. Cinecom.net. So it is like a VFX tutorial channel from like some Swedish dudes. It's all pretty rudimentary. It's mostly, you know, the short answer of like how they like do an effect is like, and you know, it's a quick composite. <laughs> Basically, it's like put a green screen behind this and then shoot a plate. But it's like um, fills that void of like the way that old Fred Deb. Freddie W videos used to kind of just teach you fundamentals on VFX in a way that like is totally tangible. You can totally do it. Most of the effects they do are in Premiere, so it's not even an After Effects situation. And it just kind of helps you um, remember, like to unlock that part of your brain a little bit. You know, like, oh yeah, there are some really simple, straightforward ways to like do these VFX. And then you have ownership over... Um, that effect and more complex ones when you're in the field, you know, I feel like so often a producer will be like, well, that's a VFX shot. We can't do that. I'll be like, no, 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 don't worry. The editor can do this one. I can send him a goofy video on how to do it. If he doesn't know, he does, you know? <laughs> um, so cinecom.net and they're, they're relatively entertaining too. There's like a bunch of, like, is that like young Swedish dudes? Cool. Cool. Well, uh, awesome. Um, if you guys want to leave us a comment about the show or ask a question or let us know how you're feeling, um, leave us an iTunes review uh, or just shoot it on iTunes or you can email us just shoot it pod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. We'd love to hear from you. Twitter, of course. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Our site master is Ewan Williams, and this episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. And the music is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash justunitpod. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Now let's hop into our conversation with Dane. Dane and Shane. No, no. <laughs> with Spiegel and Siegel. With Spiegel and she <laughs> Shit. It's a real with tongue. Spiegel and Spiegel. And now let's hop into our conversation with Dan Spiegel and Shane. No, fuck. And now let's talk into our...
Now let's hop into our conversation with Dan Siegel and Shane Spiegel. Do me a favor, tighten that up in post, guys. Thank you. <laughs> 